I got the okay that we're ready to go. <laughs> Very good. All right. All right. In uh, three, two, one. Welcome to Sports Beat KC, a sports podcast presented by the Kansas City Star. I'm Blair Kirkhoff. On today's show, Lynn Worthy stops by. We talk Royals. It's been a tough start for the Royals, 9-20 heading into a second game against the Tampa Bay Rays. But there have been some good things happening to the Royals, especially in the lineup. Later, Vahe Gregorian and I discuss Jamal Charles, who is retiring from pro football. He's going to sign a one-day contract with the Chiefs so he can retire as a member of the organization that drafted him. This conversation with Lynn Worthy was recorded on Tuesday before the Royals game was rained out and rescheduled as a doubleheader Wednesday. By the time you hear this, who knows? Maybe the Royals will have gotten out the brooms and swept the doubleheader. I am here with Royals beat writer Lynn Worthy. We're going to talk about the Royals who, you know, had it going a little bit uh, after the rough start. Had won five out of seven and had swept the Indians, had beaten uh, the Yankees in the opening uh, series in, in New York. But things haven't been going well for the Royals who take a 9-20 and record into their next game against the Tampa Bay Rays that... Uh, as of the time, Lynn, that you and I talk about this uh, has not been postponed, but there's a lot of rain here in Kansas City. Might not see this one played, but hey, how you doing, Lynn? I'm doing good, doing good, you know, getting myself prepared for some good tarp watching um, <laughs> yeah. and uh, <laughs> and maybe some baseball somewhere in the next couple of days. We'll see. Who knows? <laughs> you know, I don't, think, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's generally known outside of the baseball press boxes or, or the baseball circles that... A postponed game is uh, there's there's a certain verb that's used uh, when when it, when a game is postponed. We don't we don't call it that. We call it banged. The game's been banged. So we we think that might happen today, huh? Yeah, yeah. That's um, and sometimes I I I say it. Um, I think I even typed it on our uh, inner office uh, message system. And after I did, I thought I was like, should I not have used that term? Because it's just you know. <laughs> covering the minors, it was always a term that was used. I remember one time, actually, um, uh, just a brief uh, little uh, uh, tangent here. It was in covering Double A in Binghamton, New York, and they announced after a delay that you know they had uh, postponed the game. They announced a new date and everything. And once they have a delay, they don't make you wait to go into the clubhouse. So they announced it. I put it on Twitter. I go down to the clubhouse. And something was weird because guys were still in uniform, still sitting at their like tables playing cards and things like that. And I'm looking around and I'm like, what's going on? And somebody looks at me and goes, wait a minute, did they bang the game? And I was like, as far as I know, they did. And I was like, well, wait, wait a minute, maybe y'all should talk to the manager. And I said, no, 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 you're already in here. You put it on Twitter. One of them looked at their phone and said, you put it on the Twitter. And then they said, yeah, Lynn banged the game. We all go home. And I was like, uh. <laughs> the manager just hadn't come in to the clubhouse yet for some reason. And so we all knew and they announced it in the stadium. But the guys were still sitting there in the clubhouse and sort of looking at me sideways because I was just strolling through. I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? So, But, yeah, one of the guys announced for everybody, Lynn banged the game. It's on Twitter. Let's go. <laughs> you have that so, yeah. power with the power <laughs> yes, of the was... beat writer. <laughs> Well, I know the the, the, the Royals. Um, uh, you don't you don't want this because that stacks up. If it is a postponement, and it might be, if not today, tomorrow, the the rain's supposed to be here for a while. That kind of stacks up the pitching and uh, and, and limits uh, limits availability in the bullpen. But uh, but that'll uh, we'll, we'll see if that happens. Let's go back to last night's game. 
it's to the point for me, Lynn, when when uh, when Brad Keller takes the mound, I think Royals have a pretty good chance in this game, and uh, not the case yesterday. Rays got up uh, four nothing, I think, in that one. Uh, so so it's been a couple of rough outings for Keller, two of his last three. What what's different about him uh, that that we different than what we saw in the first couple of starts for him? Well, the, this uh, this one just this last evening. Um, I don't know if it was the extra days off that he had had because he had served suspension, plus the team had a day off, so there was a couple extra days. So it had been uh, about a f- solid week um, since his last start. And um, he just looked off in terms of just, you know, wasn't able to throw it where he wanted to, was just sort of yanking pitches this way and that way. Um, he was able to still get him through five. And I think so he gave up three in the first two innings and still got him through five and, you know, not – not what you're looking for, but at least gave you a chance to still be in the game. Uh, I think when he left the game, it was, uh, I want to say it was 5-3 when he left the game. So they were still there. Um, but uh, that one was just, a, you know, one of those nights where he just didn't, he couldn't command where the ball was going. Um, the outing before that, which was actually also against Tampa Bay, uh, um, he was actually looking really good through six. And then he tried to come back for the seventh and they wanted to get him through seven. And he ended up giving up I think another three runs or uh, I'm not looking at it right now but it was either three or four runs so up until that point he had a quality start had only given up two runs and was thinking out into the seventh inning um so that one it was sort of you know it was the finish as opposed to the to the overall outing that sort of got him in that one and um I think part of it there was also that the bullpen has been inconsistent so Ned Yost and the staff sort of leaned on Keller because you know he's as good as he's proven himself to be, even you know, still at this early stage, and he's you know, pretty much been deemed their their ace, the workhorse. You know, they'd rather lean on him than a bullpen that's been up and down. So they tried to get a little more length out of him, and that one just sort of backfired on him in that outing. So I mean, I don't think it's been a a thing, anything that you know should be too concerning. I think it's just sort of the uh, you know the the um, ups and downs of the the baseball season. Um, I wouldn't you know put too much. Uh, uh, panicking anybody about the last couple of bumpy starts. I was going to make fun of the term um, inconsistent when you describe the bullpen, but that's actually true. I mean, that's they're, they're, after a terrible start for the bullpen, they kind of righted the ship for for a couple of weeks. Uh, had a um, you know, had a stretch. I think they had maybe eight or nine score, consecutive scoreless innings, but it, it uh, reared its ugly head again uh, last night. So. Where are we with this bullpen? It's been sort of the season-long theme for the Royals, uh, and, and probably gets the. If you had a pie graph of Royals problems, it probably has the biggest slice of the pie. But what, what, what do we make of this of the bullpen? And I will say this: I mean, the the Royals still lead baseball in blown saves. They've only in in, in twelve save opportunities. They've only saved four. So they they got that going for them. What what, what where are we with the bullpen? It's, I think it's going to be a work in progress for probably the first. I mean, I could see it being a work in progress for the first half of the season, just because of the fact that you've got new people in there. I mean, it's almost a. It's not well. I was going to say it's almost a whole new group. Group, but um, it, I mean, you still have Peralta. Uh, you still have Hill. Um, McCarthy's back down the minors. Well, actually, Hill's back in the minors again too now. But so those guys were holdovers. But the problem at the beginning of the season was uh, those guys were as inconsistent as the new guys. I mean, a guy like uh, Kennedy has actually been pretty solid. A guy who hasn't you know pitched in the bullpen in ten years since 
uh, until this uh, start of this season. Um, and then you got some some young guys. I mean, you had Zimmer up here early in the season, hadn't ever been in the big leagues, and he had some struggles. Um, you know, Lovelady is now up here for the first time, and he's still working through just, you know, getting used to um, pitching on a regular basis because he's, uh, you know, even in the Myers talking to him yesterday, he was saying, yeah, usually, you know, you could count on a certain number of days off after you pitched unless something weird happened. Whereas here, the biggest adjustment he felt like he had to make was just being ready mentally and physically to pitch every day if needed, which, you know, he didn't have that in the minors. Um, so he's, you know, he's still adjusting to that. Scott Barlow was a guy who had been pretty much a starter, and now they're making him a, a relief guy. So there's just a lot of moving parts and guys who aren't used to doing this on a regular basis. Um, the, you know, all signs point that they got some ability to do it, but, but while you're figuring it out and while there's a bunch of you figuring it out at the same time, it can be rough. And then you got some guys who have been, you know, proven in the past, but have just been, um, you know, had some ups and downs. I mean, Boxberger has looked really good his last three innings, but before that, you know, there was folks ready to run him on out of town. Sure. Um, Deakman had some outings early on where he had some hit some bumps in the road, and then he's had some good outings. And then, you know, last night one pitch that is higher than he wants it to gives up a turns into an, a run because it's an RBI single. And so, um, I mean, that but some of that is just you know life in the bullpen. So, um, but until they get things, you know, guys who are who have track record pitching to that track record, and young guys with no track record um, get their you know feet under them. I think it's just going to it's going to continue to sort of be a little up and down um, until they can sort of get that sorted out. And Royals fans got so spoiled in uh, in, their, in their rise to the to the World Championship of 2015 because the the bull, the bullpen was lights out. It was automatic. The Royals had a lead and the they took a lead after six and that game was over. Uh, I don't it didn't didn't matter when. You had uh, Kelvin Herrera, Wade Davis, and and Greg Holland, and or you know some you know combination of those three in 2015 as well. It was it was lights out. It was it was over. And now I, I watch the Royals, and the starter comes out. Uh, you know, you look in the bullpen and you wonder, you know, who who do you trust right now? Uh, who's who's the who's who's the most trustworthy of the, of the of the relievers? And I'm not sure there is one that you feel totally confident. Right? Maybe Kennedy. Um, just because he's, I haven't, I don't have the ERAs in front of me or the, or the, you know, the stats in front of me, but he seems to be as consistent as anybody in, in the pen right now. Is, do you think that's a, you know, is that a fair observation? It's just, you know, who's, who's trust is just kind of day to day with the Royals bullpen. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Was that's the that's probably the most um, frustrating or the hardest part is just that it's who you trust changes from day to day. And it might not last but so long. So, I mean, a guy like um, uh, Kennedy has looked really good. And he's starting – I mean, he's he's gotten to the point where he's a guy who's trusted. Peralta, um, based off of what he did last year and this year, is still kind of a trusted guy. But he's had some some outings that, you know, make you shake your head a little bit. And even when he closed out games, you know, he would um, – It'd be, it wouldn't be a comfortable closeout. It would be, you know, a couple <laughs> guys on base and you get down to the final strike. And so, but I think they're, they're sort of um, come to the conclusion that that's what he's going to be as far as closing out games. Like, you just have to ride through some of that. But he's also had some, 
some almost. I mean, like I think to that game in uh, Detroit where, you know, that was during that stretch where nobody was really getting it done out of the bullpen. And he got down to, I think it was uh, bases loaded and he was a strike away from getting out of it. No runs scored and, you know, uh, escaping a big jam. But then with two strikes, he gave up what ended up being a grand slam. It completely turned the game and it turned into a loss. So, um, but Kennedy and Peralta are probably the, the guys right now who you can somewhat trust on a regular basis. And then after that, it's, you know, you got to play it by ear, which is a tough way to, to manage a bullpen, um, you know, for, for any manager. Yeah. And, and look, when it, when it comes to the lineup, I thought going into the season, I, I wasn't sure who I was going to trust in the, you know, in the, in the three, four, five hole. And as it turns out, the Royals are getting a lot of production uh, from, from that part of their lineup with, um, you know, with with uh, Gordon and Soler and Dozier, you know, not you know, not um, you know, I don't know if All Star worthy is 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 accurate, but uh, but but look, that that part of the lineup is producing for the Royals. You had a nice story earlier this, you know, this season on Alex Gordon. Um, let's let's touch on him just for a second. What uh, um, what's what's been a couple of the keys for him to you know to get this thing turned around after a couple of just miserable seasons. Well, funny enough, you know, because the last couple of years, uh, injuries have been some of the things that sort of uh, held him back. But also talking to him, injury may have been the thing that sort of helped him get out of the um, the bad habits and the, the things that were holding him back as well. Because he, he said uh, he said it during spring training, but he also said it to me uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was getting ready to write the story about um, the time he was on the disabled list uh, was really the time that helped him by not playing every day. Um, make some changes to his batting stance, become more upright. And um, Dale Swain, the uh, bench coach, been talking to him about, listen, you need to get back to the way you were because, you know, uh, Swain was the hitting coach um, in through, let's see, 14 through 17. But during that time, he also studied what Gordon looked like earlier in his career. So he was very familiar with him, his, basically his whole major league career as a hitter. And he'd seen him become more crouched down and, it was causing problems as far as being able to get to certain pitches. Um, it was it was taking away the power and leverage that he had in his swing. It was just uh, um, it was just debilitating him as a hitter, not because of age, which is the first thing people would point to because he's now in age thirty five season, but it was you know just the fact that his uh, his stance and his uh, ability to get to certain pitches and sort of tying up his hands as opposed to being a free easy swing. Um, was, was really just turned him into basically a shell of the hitter that he had been at times during his career. So that stretch where he was injured on the uh, now the injured list, not the disabled list, right. um, really, yeah, it, it helped him to be able to take a step back and to make those changes. Because you hear guys, whether it's hitters or pitchers, both say, while you're playing games, trying to get outs and competing, it's hard to sort of make these mechanical changes and make them consistently and make them stick. Um, so, uh the DL helped him be able to do that. He really saw the progress at the end of last season. Um, they put him into the three hole in the lineup behind, um, you know, Whit Merrifield and Adalberto Mondesi. Uh, those guys on base have really, you know, they've been getting on base consistently, obviously draw attention because of their speed and base stealing ability. And uh, Gordon also said that he felt like it makes him a more aggressive hitter batting in that spot. And, you know, I think at the end of uh, last season, the last 21 games he batted there, and his numbers were um, 
significantly better. He carried it over in the spring training. Um, same thing. He's been in the three-hole all this year. He didn't have a hit in the first couple of games, but he was getting on base, and he's just sort of continued that. Um, he was, you know, besides Dozier, who's, you know, one of the best, one of the hottest hitters in the American League right now, or in the major leagues right now, um, besides him, Gordon's been, you know, um, probably the best hitter in this lineup uh, this season. Um, and the other thing that he mentioned too, just he mentioned during spring training was he's changed some of his workout habits cause he's, you know, he was legendary as far as just the, the weights and just the way he took care of his body and he still takes care of his body. He's just, he's realized as he's gotten older that, that you can't, you know, throw around those weights and go crazy and then go play the ball game and still be able to recover the next day and do it over and over again. So he's backed off of the weights in term in favor of more body weight stuff and stretching and and bands and all that sort of stuff so that's helped him stay uh be able to recover and be at his best every day as well it's been one of the really positive developments for the for the royals this year as as april comes to a close uh so just a you know a, a good first month month and a you know month and a week for for alex gordon uh the royals Look to get back on the winning ways. We'll, we'll save Hunter Dozier conversation for uh, for next time. Lynn Worthy, I really appreciate you joining us today, and stay dry at the ballpark. <laughs> Thanks. I'll try. Hey, it's Blair Kirkhoff, and if you're listening to this, you love Kansas City sports, whether it's the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting, Mizzou, KU, or K-State, and no one covers these teams like the Kansas City Star. If you currently subscribe to the paper or have a digital subscription, thank you for your support. And if you don't, here's a great offer. It's called Sports Pass, unlimited digital access to every sports story and video on KansasCity.com. And it's just $30 for the first year. It's the best sports value in town. Just eight cents a day or two fifty a month. You can't beat that. Subscribe now at KansasCity.com/sportspass. Vahe Gregorian joins me on the occasion of Jamal Charles. I don't know if he announced the retirement, but word got out that he is uh, retiring as a chief. He's going to sign a one-day contract with the Chiefs this week to retire as a member of the Kansas City Chiefs, which is somewhat not common, but it happens in sports. We've seen it in other places. So, uh, so Vahe and I are going to we're going to talk a little bit about what we remember mostly about Jamal Charles. I think for both of us, our first memories of him are him a great running back at Texas, but. You know, you got to the Kansas City Star, Vahe, in 2013, and that was Andy Reid's first year in town. And and I just remember a couple of games where Jamal went nuts, like the game in Oakland. Uh, yes. You know, the the, five, the four touchdown receptions and almost 200 yards receiving. I think all on screens. Yeah, the right, screen right. passes yeah. where he just yeah. – and, and in some cases there wasn't a Raider in the in the picture. But there were Raider fans in the picture by the end throwing beer on him. Yeah, I remember um, that. I, and he just stood there kind of opening his arms up to it. I remember that. So even though you did, may not have seen his best rushing years, because he had a couple – the year before you got here in 2012, he rushed for over 1,500 yards. Yards and he had a 1,400-yard season earlier in his career. You saw some pretty good Jamal Charles. I I did, and I'll tell you if if I remember this right too, this was that same season. They started nine and zero, and almost every game the formula was get through three quarters, then the fourth quarter is Jamal's. Whether it mostly running, but but also passing and 
as you noted, that Oakland game, Blair, that, that was as good a game as you'll ever see anybody have. Um, and what I was really struck by all along watching him, he, he sort of led with his heart on, on everything he did. And, and you could feel that in how hard he played. And, um, and he was a very complete football player. He was a good blocker, too. Um, in some ways, you know, the guy that I had seen before um, that reminded me of him that I'd seen up close a little bit was Marshall Falk of, of, of the Rams. Right. Complete football player and in a lot of ways one of the best football players that I ever saw. And I, I, I have Jamal in that, in that uh, category in my head, among, certainly among the best and, and, and quite a guy too. Well, let's, we'll talk about that in a second. One thing that I, I really remember about Jamal Charles was his ability – to find a seam or a hole and go 80 or 90 yards. I mean, he he had, I looked this up as I was writing the story about him today, he had five touchdowns in his career of 76 rushing touchdowns of 76 yards or longer. That, that's remarkable. He had, um, I can remember there was, I think it was the 2012 season where at one point late in the season, he had more touchdown runs of 80 yards or longer than of five yards or shorter. I mean, it was <laughs> ridiculous. It was, yeah. it was a combination of him being really good and the Chiefs being horrible. But uh, but it was a, it was a crazy stat. But you you I think you had an appreciation of Jamal for reasons other than his uh, his football ability. A, a, a little bit because of and we could talk about that now or, or, or a little bit later. But of, because of a trip to Port Arthur. But I remember having that feeling about him. And and look, part of that feeling is was a worry about how hard he played, how often he got hurt, what's going to become of him as we learn more and more about CTE, about concussions he sustained. Remember that game where he uh, hid from the trainer? Yeah. So he yeah, didn't have to answer right. a question about the concussion that's protocol? That's right. No, that's right. Um, and I, if I remember right, I think this is true, Blair, that, that Colts game, the playoff game, he got a concussion. He did. Um, and that Takes me back to one and of the and didn't finish the game and didn't finish the game. Right. In and, fact, and that happened early. It did happen first half, and it, but it makes me think a little bit about the little, little sad asterisk in his career that that no no playoff success. He may, maybe was on one maybe was in one winning playoff game. No, not not even one. Not even I mean, one. They, they, he was in that game, the Colts game. Then he had he was part of the Ravens game in 20, uh, 2010. So both losses. He had a, he, he had. Scored, scored the Chiefs' only touchdown that game. It was like a 45-yard run mm. against the Ravens. But then, as you said, he was out early against the yeah. Colts. And that was no playoff success for the teams that he was on. He really was offensively a one-man band until uh, until Andy Reid got and brought his offense to Kansas City. Well, it's a, it's a shame. But, but to circle back to the point you were making, I, when I went to Port Arthur just to sort of learn about his life, um, it was really uh, – I really came across some some sweet and kind of beautiful things. I mean, he was he was the kid. I was just looking up the story that that they were doing a roast of him when I was down there, and he was the guy. One of his best friends would say, "Then you were the guy that nobody wanted around." <laughs> <laughs> and part of it was he was he had anxieties. Uh, he had a learning disability. He um, struggled to uh, assert himself in any way in the classroom. Kind of hid in the back and. Uh, Clung to clung to the, all the females in his life and really got teased about it mercilessly in his family, and of all the weird things, it, and it, it seems crazy now, but there are different aspects of this that that Special Olympics brings into play. But Special Olympics w- was a big deal for him. It, it gave him confidence for the first time. And I should point out because everybody hearing this would possibly think about, well, he's a world class athlete. How could be in that? But it, there was different categories for 
for right. learning disabled. Exactly. No, that's and, right. And it was really the first time in his life that he thought anything of himself. And with that, as, as you know, might be guessed, there was certain momentum to his confidence, and he had that ability. And, and he did gain um, some, some just measure of uh, self-reliance in the classroom and, and had a, uh, a really nice teacher in the, in the class that helped him through. So there were a lot of things that fell right for him, even amid a lot of hardship. It's a poor town, um, uh, no father in his life at the time, but, but, but strong, strong uh, mother and strong grandmother. Played on the Texas uh, National Championship team of 2005. The Vince Young led uh, Texas Longhorns and and then had a couple more seasons at, at Texas. Was the Chiefs' third-round pick in, in the 2008 uh, draft. Played behind Larry Johnson until the Chiefs uh, parted ways with Larry Johnson in 2009. And then he became the guy, and once he became the guy, um, he, he, was, he was tremendous. He, he really was. And I know a, a stat that you and I were batting around a little while ago was his yards per carry, which um, I, I think that speaks to someone's production as much as anything, is uh, how far do you go when you get the ball if you're a running back? And he went, on an average, as far as almost anybody who's ever played the game. Was, and I can't remember the final number, Blair. Was it 5.5 5 or 5.4? 5.4. And that's, you know, for context, a, a, a notch above Jim Brown, who it was thought to have that record for a long time. The the confusing thing to me in this is whether Marion Motley was called a running back per se, but I guess he's the one who has the the career yeah the all time career record. number. And of course, there are a couple uh, quarterback categories depending on how you break it down. That Randall Cunningham and Michael Vick's averages were there, but but if you really look at just running backs in the history of the game, Jamal Charles by that definition, and I think it's a worthy one, is is a top five running back. No doubt. Um, he's the Chiefs' career rushing leader. Uh, Seventy, I think it's seventy-two sixty was the number, uh, final number. Seventy over seventy-five hundred in his career because he played uh, with the uh, with the Broncos in twenty seventeen, and then uh, two games with the Jacksonville Jaguars last year. And um, and there was some talk about him retiring after last year. Didn't uh, didn't come out and say it, but now it's um, as, as soon as he signs his name on the contract, it'll. It'll be official. I, I do know he told TMZ, had an interview with TMZ a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago. He thinks he should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, I, I, uh, I double-checked with one of our good friends uh, and former colleague, Randy Kovitz, about, about this. So we had a nice discussion. Randy knows more about Chiefs history and, and about the NFL and was a Hall of Fame voter for quite a long time. So this isn't just random, you know, sports writer Randy Kovitz. And just to elaborate on that point really quick, Hall of Fame voter in the NFL is is different than in other sports, or at least has its own unique niche, mm-hmm. which is you're in the room making cases and, and, and deliberating. You're one of 32 people who decide yeah. th- th- this. Um, Randy thinks he's falls short of, of the Pro Football Hall of Fame um, you know, credentials. I want to take a closer look at it and just compare him. I, 70, 7,500 yards for a running back would probably put him pretty close to the low end of running backs who were in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But that yards per carry, I mean, that he's, you know, he, he, was, he was a burst of, you know, of energy. You know, Gail Sayers is someone else who, you know, had a very short career who's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but also 
did some, you know, was a return specialist and a kind of a transcendent player yeah. as well. Um, it, also, no postseasons. They, I don't think Gail Sayers ever had a postseason appearance. So there is that. I'll, I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later this week. But anyway, um, I'm, you know what? To be honest with you, it was kind of tough to see Jamal these last couple of years. And even his last year with the Chiefs, I can remember that, that injury against the Bears – we were at the ALDS in Houston right. when that game happened. Right. But following that game, you know, we were just following the game, and it was just a just another tough injury for him that cost him most of the season. I I I guess basically he never quite got it back after that, right? I think that's never, right. Never was really the same. Might have had a little little burst, maybe a game, but but nothing nothing substantial or lasting. Um, you're making me think still about the Hall of Fame question, and I I am curious if if Randy. Randy was looking at that, that production in total total yards was one of the things yeah. he was thinking of. How much did Randy think that it matters to the committee um, about the playoff matter in in modern era as opposed to being a transcendent player like Gail Sayers who didn't? It's a good point. We were talking about Terrell Davis for the Broncos who didn't have a, a you know an expansive career in terms of years played, but he was one of the great. He had two of the greatest postseasons of all time. Uh, helping the Broncos win a couple Super Bowls, so I think if you're uh, maybe if your if your stats are a little bit below the average at that position, if you have something in your pocket like mm-hmm. the postseason success, that that would elevate you. So it's it's just a, it's just a tough deal for Jamal Charles to you know not only have um, come to the Chiefs at a time when there was coaching turnover right. and you know uncertainty, uh, having you know played for Romeo Cornell and. Um, Todd uh, Haley, and and then finally Andy Reid. But, you know, just uh, his best years with the Chiefs were not with Andy Reid. Statistically, they just weren't. Andy Reid opened up the offense, uh, got others involved. And I I remember that being an issue. How is Andy Reid going to affect Jamal Charles? And his his rushing totals did go down, but his overall – he set a personal record and led the NFL in touchdowns in 2013, got into the end zone a lot. So – it was uh, he was fun to watch. He he was fun to watch. You're reminding me of one of those questions we might have seen on our exams in uh, in college uh, about whether the times make the men or the men make the times. Or and <laughs> and and look, you could you could place him in a different atmosphere and and maybe have a lot bigger numbers, right? Maybe and maybe so, and um, and maybe have more wins and and some postseason times. But you know, the reality is you you exist when you do and where you do and. That's how it went for him. I, I, I do see that uh, there's more to examine on the Hall of Fame matter, but, but certainly he'll be a Chiefs Hall of Famer. Ring of Honor um, guy, for sure. It, right, for sure. And I, I, for some reason, it, it came into my mind uh, earlier. I can't remember whether John Dorsey said this as they released Jamal or in the run-up to releasing him, but he was one of those guys that he would always say, he's a Chief. And I think, I think that resonated and, and carries through now. And that's, that's exactly why he is um, signing a one-day contract <laughs> with the Chiefs to, re- to retire uh, in, in, uh, as, as a Kansas City Chief. So, hey, Vahe, thanks for stopping by and talking about this. My pleasure, Blair. Links to the stories we discuss can be found in the story notes and on KansasCity.com. I want to thank our guests, and Kathy Liu and Leah Becerra for putting this podcast together. I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Thanks for listening.